Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the ultimate theological declaration, I would argue, of the entire Beatitudes, but also the entire Sermon on the Mount, and maybe even the Gospels themselves. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The Beatitudes as a whole, as we've learned, they are meant to hold up a mirror and offer a blessing to those who are worthy of God's new realm. Jesus is inaugurating God's kingdom on earth, and it has come to replace Rome's tyrannical rule. And this new kingdom, it won't come with war or with torture or with pain. This new kingdom, it comes with mercy and love and peace. On the surface, it's very easy to see what this beatitude is saying. Blessed are those who strive to be peaceful. Blessed are those who don't go looking for a fight. But blessed are those who are able to stand in the gap and try to calm stormy waters. Blessed are the peacemakers. When you go deeper into this verse, though, you see even more. And it's due to what is written in the back half of the verse. For they will be called children of God. Jesus is announcing that to be a son or daughter of the God of peace, then you must be working towards peace too. This is radically countercultural. This one verse, it refocuses thousands of years of theology. I mean, think about the Old Testament. It paints over and again a violent God, although it's not exclusively that. But by and large, the Old Testament contains tons of references to a war-making and a war-initiating God, leaving all of us to just assume this is the way things are. I can't even begin to guess how many Old Testament prayers, how many psalms there are in our Bible that beg for God's vengeance, how many prophets prophesy God's wrath towards our enemies, I can't fully wrap my mind around how integrated this notion of violence and destruction and war is to Old Testament theology. It's utterly infused. And this is something that we can't mask over. We can't hide from this. There is an appetite for war in the Old Testament. There is killing in the name of God. Why? Because people thought this was the way of God. And maybe for a time it was. It is highly debatable. But it's not debatable to Jesus anymore. War making, war winning, land conquering isn't what gets you into God's family. Peacemaking is. For Jesus to show up and to say this, it's revolutionary. And I would even argue evolutionary. Scholars have been arguing this for years now, that consciousness evolves. I 100% agree. I think we can even see that Scripture evolves. At least the characters in Scripture evolve. And we see this so clearly in this beatitude. Because Jesus is taking all that we know to be true and turning it upside down. 
I mean, here's Jesus arriving on the scene saying, you want to be a child of God? Then you're going to have to promote peace. You want to be a member of God's family? Then you have got to be peacemaking. It's incredible. Now, I do want to say, not all of the Old Testament promotes this warlike imagery. There are tons of discrepancies. I mean, take Isaiah chapter 2. There's an oracle about how all the nations would climb the mountain of God. We would all sit at God's feet. We would stop talking and we would start to listen to God speak. Isaiah, Isaiah explains that once that happens, we will then come back down off the mountain, re-engage the world, and the prophecy says this, and we shall beat our swords into plowshares and study war no more. Isaiah knows, as Jesus proclaims, that God is a God of peace. And to be a child of God is to lay down your weapons and be a child of peace. Think about how evolutionary this is. And there are plenty of other Old Testament moments that mirror Isaiah too. But there's also plenty that send our people off to war. It's a complicated history that we have in the Old Testament. There is a peaceful hope for a united future, and then there's war in the name of God. Jesus is clearly clearing out the confusion today. If we want to be a part of God's new realm, if we want to be a member of God's family, we must be makers of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now I said that last half of that phrase is massively important. And give me a minute, I'll put some thoughts together. It's going to feel completely unrelated, but go with me for a second and we'll pull this together. This phrase, you will be called children of God, it matters. You've heard me say this before, but I believe the most daring the most theological statement, this claim that the gospel makes on all of our lives is that it gives us power to become children of God. It is the central theme of the gospel of John. It's the apex moment in the prologue in John 1.12. He gave us power to become children of God. This theological claim is the central heartbeat of the entire gospel narrative, and it comes right at the beginning of the gospel of John. And then at the very end of John, in the last chapter, in chapter 21, the last image it gives of a resurrected Saint Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, he's making a charcoal fire waiting for the disciples to come in out of fishing off the sea. He calls out to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? From the beginning to the end of the Gospel of John is the good news of Jesus Christ that he gives us power to become a member of God's family, a child of God who makes peace. And we see these two themes, to be children and peace, over and over again in the Gospels. I mean, John 16, says, Jesus says, I have said this to you so that you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I've conquered the world. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a crowd, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them, 
For it is such as these that the kingdom belongs. Then again in John 20, another resurrected scene of Jesus. He's in the upper room with the disciples behind locked doors. Jesus appears out of nowhere and says, Peace be with you. My peace I leave with you. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit in the room and disappears. There is something intricately connected between these two ideas. It is clear to me Jesus is offering an invitation for us to be children of God. And the way we accept that invite is to be makers of peace. But what does it mean to be peacemakers? How do we fulfill our vocations in life as peacemakers? These questions take a lifetime to answer. How can we be people who bring peace and are at peace? I know I say this a lot, like a whole lot, and I'm going to say it again. And if this is the only thing you ever quote that I say, it will have been worth it. If we are going to change the world out there, then we're going to have to first become changed in here. We have to be people who are at peace on the inside. You have to know. You have to believe with great clarity and certainty that you are a child of God. You have to believe that you belong in this world and are for this world and you are a purposeful piece of God's unfolding future. I know this sounds nice, but here lies a real problem. Most people, most Christians, don't believe what I just said is true. Their most grown adults are ravaged with the anxiety that they aren't enough. Every age group alive wishes that they were more or different due to some anxiety that they carry, not feeling like they measure up. Every age group carries anxiety at all levels except one. Children. A loved child is a sight to behold because they are utterly at peace with themselves and the world around them. To be at peace out there is to feel at home in here. And that can take a lifetime of reauthoring terrible parenting. It could take a lifetime to reauthor what culture has told you. For instance, every one of us needs to relearn that you don't have to prove your worth. You are already worthy. You don't have to achieve a single thing to gain God's favor. You are already enough. In God's kingdom, there is nothing for you to conquer, nothing for you to defeat. In God's kingdom, there is nothing for you to hate. There is only love and acceptance and peace. And even though it takes a lifetime, to feel like you are at peace on the inside. If you start this journey, it will begin to spill out in the world around you. And you will know that you're on the right track because your actions in the world will become nonviolent. Nonviolence. It is the outward boundary line 
for a peaceful life. As peacemakers, we have to be nonviolent to ourselves and to others and to all living creatures and to creation itself. And then we have to work to bring nonviolence to others. I'll tell you a quick story. One of the greatest Christian peacemakers of our lives is Archbishop Desmond Tutu. When we dedicate a baby, all the kids that sang today, when they were dedicated into this church, we handed them a book called God's Dream, written by Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He's one of my favorite humans that's ever lived, and if you don't know the name, you just know he was from Cape Town, South Africa. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He spent his entire life promoting peace and reconciliation. His life's journey is one of a mystic, and it is one worth studying and even emulating. In the 1970s and 80s, he served the church all throughout Africa. And then he became a leader of the World Council of Churches in South Africa. Then he became a bishop. Then he became the archbishop. He stood up fearlessly through his adult life and spoke out publicly against the evil apartheid system. In thousands of speeches across South Africa and then across the continent and then across the world, he called for social and economic and racial justice. He called to end all wars and to live nonviolently. He was the guy who secured the release for Nelson Mandela from prison and then helped Nelson Mandela become the president of South Africa. He did that, and then he chaired the groundbreaking Truth and Reconciliation Commission. If you've never heard of that, please Google that today. Profoundly one of the most important created things of our lives. And at this time, he helped South Africa launch this new form of peacemaking. And it included national repentance, truth-telling, forgiveness, and reconciliation. The world has never seen anything like what Desmond Tutu has done in our time. I listened recently to a speech that he gave. He was in America. He was speaking at the National Cathedral in D.C. in 1987. It was the height of apartheid. The world was just waking up to the horrors of South Africa, and we started putting economic sanctions on the country. He spoke of an elderly woman that he had met. She told him that every night she wakes up at 2 a.m. and from 2 to 3 a.m. she begs God in prayer solemnly to end apartheid. I know we will win, Tutu says, because God cannot resist the prayer of this poor old woman. And then on the tape, he bursts into tears. Those tears of peace, they converted everyone who had ears to hear. I love this story. Tutu believed, and I'm now convinced he's right. He's not the only one who said this, but he often said there is a moral arc to the universe. I believe that. And I also believe that lies and evil and injustices, they won't win. It won't get the last word, nor will it push us towards God's unfolding kingdom. But peace will. 
And it starts in here first. We have to be people who are at peace with ourselves. If we can't, it won't ever spill out into the world. But if we do, then we will learn with great clarity what Jesus meant when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God.